Welcome to the Boys Turner podcast. I am Rowan Turrell and I'm the Head of Dispute Resolution at Boys Turner. This special edition of our podcast comes from the Caledonian Club in London, where we've been holding an event called Building Growth and Efficiency for In-House Legal Teams. This episode is going to give you a taste of one of the three panel sessions that took place today, which was called The Impact of M&A Activity on In-House Teams, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. It was hosted by Chris Dobson, who is a partner in our corporate team, and it featured Mark Blunden, who is the General Counsel and Vice President EMEA at Culligan, and Barbara Keane, who is the General Counsel at Origin Enterprises. In a moment, you will hear from the panellists as they reflect on their earlier conversation. But first, here are some highlights from the event itself. Okay, um, thanks very much. Um, I hope you enjoyed the first session and feeling a little bit intimidated now, sir. Uh, live up to how interesting the chat was on the last one, actually. So my name is Chris Dobson. Uh, I'm a, a corporate partner at Boys Turner. Bit of a self-confessed M&A nerd. I'm, I'm very conscious that my involvement in the work kind of, you know, it, it ends really at, at, at completion. Um, and so I'm, I'm not best placed to have a view on the, the various integration that needs to go on post-completion. Uh, and equally... The, the early stage um, strategic conversations within the business that, that lead up to the point in time when I get I get called and asked to to advise on the legals, which um, you know in in the the timeline of an M and A transaction. Again, I appreciate that my work is very compressed and, and comes along right at the end of the process, uh, and there's lots lots of lots of stuff going on before then. So. On that basis, um, very fortunate to have my two guests next to me here, who um, are very, very experienced commercial lawyers in their own rights, but, but have equally got lots of experience in terms of being in the, in the, in the box seat within business for M&A activity. Reading really about the, the, um, the evolving role and expectations on in-house legal teams in, in businesses going forwards. In-house lawyers wanting to break out from um, a perception of being just a, a function and you know we, we, we go to legal we go to HR for these particular points as and when a crisis or a particular issue comes up to, to perhaps you know moving along to actually being a, a, a wider part of wider business strategic decision making if I go to you Mark what you know what's your perception of um, the, the 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 mindset of internal stakeholders that you have within Culligan as to as to your role within an M&A transaction and when, you know when when does that start it's quite interesting. It's been eye-opening for me, having been in sort of private practice and been quite segmented in my approach for, for many years, is getting the business to actually work with the legal team. And you get involved not necessarily dispensing sage legal advice. And I think this is the, the, the kind of the key to what Barbara is actually sort of driving at. It's being involved from the very outset in terms of how things are shaped commercially. I mean, I, I never thought I'd have to have any great appreciation on the finance tax structuring. I found it very stretching going into this environment. And I think that's, that's where you, you transition out of just being sort of the legal dispenser of advice to being part of that wider management team. You need to be part of those conversations in the room when transactions are being planned and structured. I spend more time on structural issues, actually, than on execution <coughs> Of transactions and I think that that's where they perceive the value both at the front end and then also and, and the challenge is making sure you remain involved in the process once once completion has been and gone 
actually it's that longer term journey, that integration of the business, both from the existing company's perspective, but also how do you then drive the, the benefit from the deal, from the acquisition? How do you bring those people into the wider organisation? Yes, some of it comes back to how we structure it, and that can be a challenge, and we'll, we'll probably talk about that. But actually, you need to be part of that full journey process and try and break out of a, a purely legal box, because otherwise you can be kind of perceived as just being sort of a, a, a well somebody goes to for a legal answer and nothing more. And, and it's quite hard to achieve that. Barbara, if I can put it to you, um, it's a big one. I guess, but kind of from your experience in M&A today, what have been the kind of the key learning points for you and, you know, and, and things that you'll look to try and take forwards going forwards that you've, that you've learned? Um, yes, right, lots of things. Um, well, look, maybe just coming back to the point again about, about how, how you're, you're set up and you're structured. Um, this, this isn't so much a big picture maybe piece, but I, I would say... Um, I have seen it being really important to to leverage off your prior deals, your prior knowledge, um, your learnings, because you know suddenly you're asked to ramp up. And I'd say this is where we were talking. It's a little bit different. You know, our, our team is doing everything from from an M and A deal to to every other issue under the sun, and so you've got to have tools at your disposal. Um, so that you can get on top of things quickly because I think pressure builds when you, when you have a sense of being out of control, when you don't have a plan. And so if you have resources that you can draw on, um, and that can be playbooks, it can be processes, it can be checklists, it can be templates, um, and it can just be your, you know, your engagement throughout the process. But you need to have them and you need to draw on them. Um, and I think you know, at whatever point in time is the optimal time to, to do that and to capture that, um, it will stand to you. Okay. Mark, same question to you. Same. In some respects, yeah, absolutely. I, I think the trick is also, um, I would say slow the process down, but cause people to actually pause and consider what they're doing and why they're doing it. There's always this great kind of incentive to kind of charge ahead and do the, the next great big deal. And where I've seen things go wrong is that there hasn't been adequate kind of pause for thought and consideration of what it is. It's not necessarily just the financial planning. It's that bigger picture um, in terms of trying to get the business to engage and think, why are we doing this? Is this the right thing to be doing at the time? Because actually, if you do a lot of deals, you can land up buying something that you really shouldn't have bought and it goes horribly wrong. But yeah, absolutely. Having having a clear program process, and actually it comes back to where you started, having the team, the support team that know what they're doing, particularly if you're doing repeated deals. Okay, and last, probably possibly silly one, but again, talking of experiences to date, what's been your, your biggest kind of nightmarish completion experience in terms of kind of like past, you know, well beyond midnight, or it's, it's gone on for days, weeks, months, what's, what's been the most fraught one you've had? Well, I'll maybe start at the other end of the question. Or <laughs> best, or best. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think when we've run into late pressured issues, um, what we've probably, you know, realised the next time is, you know, it's an age-old thing, but you know, early visibility and early identification of issues 
so that you can resolve them as early as possible in the solution um, will reap benefits. And, um, you know, I think we worked on a transaction a number of years ago where you know, there was a structural change to the end, very, very close to completion, was throwing out the timing. It was because the sellers was for tax reasons, which is obviously not unusual, but, but it came up very late in the day. Um, and I suppose when that does happen, it, it, it did slow us down a little bit, but we, we moved as quickly as possible. And, and that was certainly, <laughs> Chris, that, that was the, the two AMs, right? But, um, you know, that, that informed the next one I think we did because, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not something that we could have picked up early on, but it's something we're alive to. And so when you have any of those things that are going to trip you up near the end, when the pressure is really on, when financial... Financials think the deal is done, <laughs> and and you know the, the it's like why why are we still negotiating a, an SPA? Um, it's it's get these issues on the table and dealt with early, escalate early, find prop, find solutions early, um, just to 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 give yourself the best chance of of not being the one certainly to be perceived to be holding up a deal. So we've just finished our panel session and um, wanted to come back and discuss in a little bit more detail some of the points that we found particularly interesting uh, and to, to go through them in a little bit more detail now. And for me personally, the, the point that I was particularly interested in was the, the wider point around how the expected function of an in-house legal team within business is now perhaps moving away from being a, a, a simple provider of legal output. Uh, and, you know, we have a, a legal issue, we have a legal problem that needs to be resolved, do it, to, to now hopefully the, the evolution and development of the legal function in-house to being a, a team of commercial advisors that can add some strategic input to the wider business and not necessarily just, just legal. Um, would, would you be able to expand on you know, your thoughts that, that you shared earlier in a little bit more detail, please, Barbara? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, ultimately, obviously, the, the documentation is, is going to be run out of legal. So you're never going to be in a position where you can turn around and say, well, that's not really a legal point. That's dealt with by someone else. You've got to know what it's about. You've got to know how it's being shaped for the transaction, what the issues are, whether that is much broader than just legal you've got to understand it, it's going to end up at your doorstep. Um, I mean, I think even then from the legal perspective itself, you're, you know, you've got to be able to drill down and, and cut through the swathes of information that is going to be um, built up during the transaction to get to the core issues. And they can be um, across the whole breadth of the business. And, um, you know, you'll need to identify them. You may not be the person working out the exact solution, but you'll own probably the process around that. And you'll certainly own and need to stand up to how that gets then ultimately resolved in a document that gets signed for the transaction. Hmm. No, absolutely. And we, we covered it a little bit earlier on as well, Mark, the, the concept of, you know, obviously you know, you've got to be a, a generalist as, you know, as an in-house lawyer. Uh, and then the relationship you have with external advisors coming in, who are the specialists in the areas, and also the relationship you have with internal stakeholders who have got their own 
specialisms and areas that they're that they're that they're working on. So how how do you find your your role as a, essentially kind of a, a project manager, generalist? The legal role's definitely evolved. It's more of a, a people management skills role. So yes, you've got the specialist knowledge from your core disciplines, but you're having to integrate with people with lots of very detailed knowledge in their own right. Um, I'm finding I'm dealing a lot with finance and tax people on the one hand, which at the start of transactions, you're planning, structuring, looking at complexities in that regard, all the way through the spectrum to having to deal with very much the people aspects. And again, the people uh, element of any transaction or any business is absolutely critical, be it, be it goods or services. These businesses all need people. And when you're buying businesses, you're buying staff, mm. you're having to integrate with your HR advisors internally as well as the transactional teams to understand what they're going to do with people post-transaction, manage expectations. And some of these are quite complex processes, particularly in places where you've got unionised arrangements with staff. Um, when you're looking to bring businesses together culturally, uh, elements like branding and marketing, so you're dealing with sort of all the way through from the finance, the people, the marketing teams. So you have to be able to work across the whole breadth of the business be seen to be a credible advisor to be able to engage with people in their own area of expertise but also act as the bridge between them mm. i was having a conversation with someone recently and i was i was discussing the um the, the point that i find quite interesting that in, in my own role quite often actually i i i need to delegate work down to individuals who are who are the experts on particular points that that I can't add genuine value to myself. But yeah, I need to manage them and I need to, uh, you know, look at it as the skill I'm trying to impart in this process is to, to know what are the right questions to ask? How does this particular person like to be managed and how can we facilitate the process so that we're expunging the right information from them at the right time? Do you, I mean, and that's just within a legal context. Do you find you have to go through the same process with internal stakeholders within the business? Yeah, and look, I think this is where the relationship piece comes in because, um, you know, I think invariably in a transaction, you know, you're going to have key stakeholders, finance team, absolutely key, your executives probably as well. And I think other stakeholders will largely probably mirror your due diligence work streams, but, but they may have different prominence depending on the nature of the deal. And so I think hopefully by the time you're kind of coming into a transaction, ideally you have a good working relationship already and you have built up that credibility that, that we talk about. Um, you know, by the time then you're starting to talk about the new transaction. I think, you know, when you, when you see people who are, who are performing very well in, in an in-house role, they are good at asking the right questions. They, they, they are, and, and they... Part of that is the understanding that you have of the business, the context um, for which an acquisition or, or another transaction may be um, being done, um, and how the, the target or, or other entity fits within the strategy of the business. Um, because then I think you're, it's going to inform how you interact with those stakeholders, what the issues you know are going to be the areas of focus. And, you know... It, it, it's about, you know, early engaging with those stakeholders, bring them in early, work with them, give them a bit of ownership of their issues, but you, you can't get away from yourself having to be able to cut through to the core issues because, you know, if there's X hundred of issues on the table at the start, which are the ones that you would be happy for, for example, your executives 
to see at the end of it, you know, mm. and, and so they might be important in a HR context or in a, in a data protection context, but in the scale of the whole transaction, you know, you have to make that call and that judgment call mm. about what makes it, what makes it through to the end in terms of priority. Yeah. And, and it's a, a common theme that, that, that is coming across from all of our discussions here is the, uh, the, the, central, the central importance of, of people you know of managing people whether it's your your you know your internal stakeholders during the the acquisition process itself whether it's it's managing the relationship with your external advisors and and a point I'd just like to have a look at now that we were talking about earlier on Mark was the importance of then of the ongoing relationship and, de- and developing the relationship with uh, the, the people that have come across from the transaction whether it might be the um, the entrepreneurial owners of the business, or, or, or indeed more junior members of staff that have that have come across and have landed have landed within your organisation post completion. Can you just expand a little bit or more on, on uh, what we discussed earlier, the importance of, of that particular point as a as a post deal integration? Sure, Chris. I think it's a question of that wide integration piece. So, how do people get brought into the organisation, made f- to feel part of um, a business that's acquired where they've been employed? I think it can be quite a, a sensitive time for people. There's always a lot of uncertainty as to whether people retain their roles. Um, the types of schemes you put in place, and it's not uncommon to put in retention type arrangements to keep sort of employees of, of targets that have been acquired, and then the broader cultural integration. But also, and we touched on this earlier, the way the transactions are structured will materially impact on how this can be done. If uh, acquisition targets have to be ring-fenced for, for a financial calibration perspective, earnouts and the like, it's much harder. Mm. So when we're actually looking at structuring transactions at the outset, we need to think about how this full integration process will work and is there an intention, for example, that the MD would be left running his own business division? Would he keep running that same business? Would he have the same management team around him? Would they be blended with other people within the existing organization? Can you migrate people into the wider organization to expand their career kind of ambitions and bring that to the fore to try and actually kind of integrate it, which it's easier said than done because people invariably are quite reticent and nervous in any of these transactional situations yeah i know we, uh, you know I, I flagged it earlier on that as you know i'm a bit of a nerd with the the, the the processes and we you know the question was asked about what's the the main area of negotiation and i think we all kind of came to the same conclusion that as you were saying a minute ago it's an earn out situation it's where we have you know sellers who are going to stay on with the business after the event and the uh, you know, for me, the, 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 the tension that exists between the shared opportunities for both sides and, you know, the, the inherent and, you know, understandable concern that any seller might have that they've given up the, um, the keys to their, to their house. It's gone off to the, the, big, the big bad corporate buyer and actually they're going to be doing everything they can to try and turn one over them and, and you know, resist paying them out more consideration. Um, and and you, you, you mentioned it earlier, Barbara, that you're seeing at the moment the a, a key characteristic of, of transactions recently have been have been earnouts have been a big deal for for you guys. Um, and so is, is that a trend that you, you're expecting to see to continue in an area that you think you might you might have kind of nailed down in terms of the process of of managing these people during the process? Or is it, is it still an area where there's work that can be done? I think it will 
remain a very topical issue, a very sensitive issue and a personal issue mm. when certainly the profile of the acquisitions that you're making mm. involves um, sellers who are founders or owners of the business. Um, and I think, you know, the other piece as well, I suppose, that we have seen is, is where the, the brand, the brand is very important to that profile of seller. And, you know, part of, I suppose, in looking at the synergies, there is an acceptance that in the urinate type of scenario that you're going to have to maybe, you, you plan ahead for it. Certainly you see where the, the, the target sits within your group in the future. Um, but you have to, I suppose, and, and you have identified the synergies and the integration piece there, but you have to be able to, um, I suppose, stand back um, allow the target to to do the job that it has done and the reason why you're acquiring it and and then bring it forward so give it give it the benefits almost Mm. of being part of that broader corporate group um and support it um and you know the, the 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 integration piece that comes in the future well you've probably identified early on whether that md is going to be a part of that future or not and you draw then on your your existing models for other parts of your business where you have to make a connection between an operating division and let's say the, the core corporate group and how do you manage the connections and the links there and you draw on those models. So one of the ones, Mark, was the one you mentioned, for example, around maybe remuneration, mm-hmm. you know, um, and incentivizing people and what how are you going to incentivize people to stay? What what's your what's your retention going to look like? Um, but not all of these the, these sellers will ultimately want to stay as well. If they're entrepreneurial in nature, they, they will want to move on after, after their earn out. Yeah, great. Um, well, look, my, my thanks again to, to Barbara Keane and to Mark Blunden for, for joining me on the session today. Um, really enjoyed it. Hopefully it was, uh, it was interesting for, for all who listened. Uh, and thanks very much. Great. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. And that was Chris Dobson talking to Barbara Keane, General Counsel for Origin Enterprises, and Mark Blunden, Vice President and General Counsel EMEA at Culligan. Thanks to you for listening, and you can follow or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want any more information about us, then please go to boysturner.com. Goodbye. <laughs>